From Dartmouth Health, this is The Cure, a podcast focused on providing insights into today's critical concerns in healthcare in a practical and easily digestible format. We're your hosts, Jesse Swain, Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Dartmouth Health, and Dr. Jose Mercado, Regional Medical Director for Inpatient Quality. Nice to see you, Jose. It's great to be here, Jesse. Fantastic. Today, we are welcoming back Brant Oliver, Dartmouth Health System Vice President for Care Experience, Associate Professor in the Departments of Community and Family Medicine, Psychiatry, and the Dartmouth Institute at Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth, and Director of the Chronic Health Improvement Research Program at Dartmouth Health. Thank you for being here with us again, Brant. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So last time that you were here, we chatted about how your team had completed a strategic plan for the Dartmouth Health System around care experience, as well as established a care experience committee. Today, we wanted to talk a little bit more about the concept of co-production learning health system. And for our listeners that may not have heard this term before, we're wondering if you could describe to us what that means to be a learning health system And then furthermore, what co-production adds to the learning health system? Sure, happy to. Imagine how we learn as individuals. We have senses. We can see. We can hear. We can touch. And through those senses, we can learn. We get sensory inputs in. We can process that information. And then based on what we learn, we can take action. And based on the results of our actions that we observe or experience, we can then learn from those and improve over time. It has a lot to do with how we learn as individuals. Now imagine doing that at a system level, enabling a health system to be able to sense what's happening, to be able to receive information inputs that help guide care, inform research, and inform improvement, and also be able to sense and receive information about the results of that care. What were the outcomes? What was the experience? And be able to feed that information back to the care teams that are working to provide care, and in some cases also to the patients themselves, so that they can self-monitor and to better take care of themselves when they're not in the clinic. And that's the basic concept behind what we call a learning health system. In practical terms, you can think of it as a way in which a system can organize so that you can better do the work and simultaneously improve the work and study the work at the same time, Some key characteristics of it is what we call feed-forward and feedback data systems. The feed-forward data can be clinical data. It could be from wearable devices. It could be from patient-reported surveys and comments that feed forward to the system that can help the system prepare for or even predict the needs of patients before they even arrive or for remote care. There's also something called a feedback element, and this is where we find out the results of care. This could be clinical results, it could be claims and billing information, it could be information from wearable devices, anything that gives us a sense of what the results of uh, a care interaction or a care experience might be. And that information can either be aggregated and used for research or fed back to improvement teams in real time for those who are trying to improve care as they provide care. Thank you for that practical overview, Brent. I particularly like the concept of feed-forward and having the ability to predict patient needs, and also having real-time feedback that allows us to improve care as we provide care. Yeah. That being said, could you elaborate on the Promise Partnership as part of Dartmouth Health Care Experience Strategic Plan? 
Certainly. A couple of years ago when we embarked on the new strategic plan, we shifted our name from patient experience to care experience, and that was by an overwhelming opinion from our community of stakeholders throughout the system, as well as a review of the evidence and developing trends from thought leaders in the field, such as the Barrel Institute, that both patients and our professionals were required in the experience equation. Previously, we had focused predominantly on patient experience. More and more, we're realizing that it's more of a human experience of the totality of everybody involved and that it takes all of us, not just patients and families, but also professionals to create the care experience. Following that strategic plan, one of three key elements that the system called for was a networked, organized way to work on improving care experience at scale across the system. And they were asking for a way to create a community of practice where all of the individuals interested in improving care experience could gather, a structure that would help inform that work and support and accelerate that work, and some skills and support in order to be able to do the work. And basically what they were calling for was a learning health system within the Dartmouth Health System. And we were very fortunate that prior to the strategic planning work, a pilot of a learning health system was already being conducted. Back in 2017, then Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health, in their strategic plan, came out with the promise statement. And the promise statement pledged that we would gather everyone involved in healthcare to deliver a distinctive model of healthcare that only Dartmouth could do. And the theory behind that was a community of practice and learning health system concept. But this was piloted in the Cancer Center for a number of years in a collaboration between Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center and the Geisel School of Medicine namely the Dartmouth Institute, and what they attempted to do there was to create what they called a co-production learning health system. And through that, they created the traditional elements of a learning health system, such as the feed-forward and feedback data path, but also piloted some very interesting activities, one of which was a peer-facilitated network. Many front-running organizations, such as Mayo Clinic and others, have been using these networks for a long time. Imagine that add up all of the time that you have exposure to a health system. It might add up to 10, maybe 12 days out of your 365 day per year, a year. What do you do for the rest of the time? And these peer facilitated networks can be a platform by which people can interact and support each other. It's very low cost and it can be done virtually. And through the shared expertise of people with shared conditions, say it's a group that has diabetes or multiple sclerosis or it's just a caregiver group trying to work to support each other. Outcomes can be improved and the experience can be improved. And also, in many cases, the burden on the healthcare system itself can be reduced without a reduction in outcomes. Uh, this was piloted in the Cancer Center for a Caregiver Group very successfully. And the activity is called Connect Share Care. And it was so successful that Care Experience decided to take it on and integrate it into the health system. That's an activity that we're doing currently. You had asked before about what does co-production add to this. Mm -hmm. You can do a learning health system without co-production. You could do a standard delivery model and use a learning health system to study that. And you've probably seen many published studies that do this in large collaboratives, and they use learning health system structures to do really good studies. A healthcare delivery model suggests a one-way flow of activity. There's a professional and delivers care to a patient, and that's a predominant model for healthcare currently, co-production challenges that model to some extent to say, well, maybe that's a little bit simplistic and how that's viewed. 
maybe it takes both the patient and the provider to interact, and that's where healthcare is created. So it changes it from a delivery model to a service model. Uh, so how that changes a learning health system is that it focuses its data flows, feedback, its improvement activities around the interactions between professional and patient rather than on a, a delivery model. That was great and really interesting too. And as you were talking through the difference between the co-production and just the general learning health system model, I was thinking to myself, well, that seems awfully one-sided, right? Because what the professional thinks the experience of the patient is may be very dramatically different. So I think having that co-production with the families and the patients makes a lot of sense. It can make a lot of practical sense. And I imagine in reality, there's probably a combination of two. There are certain situations such as getting an immunization, or if you're getting heart surgery, where you're probably not predisposed to having a long conversation. If I'm having a heart attack, I probably want to get delivered good surgical care so that my heart attack will be treated and I will survive. Right. On the other hand, if I have a complex chronic condition like multiple sclerosis or depression or diabetes, I might really need to have a good shared understanding with my provider and how I approach the care of that may really depend on what my health beliefs are, my culture, yeah. and that you as my provider understands where I'm coming from. In that way, a co-production approach can save time, money, and sometimes prevent errors. Yeah, I'm thinking along the same lines. And you mentioned that there's teams across the system that are engaged in a variety of activities to improve care experience. Can you highlight some of these activities for the listeners and talk about any current data that's suggested improvements since the start of those activities? Certainly. I can preface my comments to say that we just launched in December, so it was still early going. Yeah. But I can frame my comments by giving a little sense of where the field is shifting in experience. Uh, one of the thought leader groups in experience is called the Barrel Institute. You can think of them as an equivalent to the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and the way they are in quality. Uh, the Barrel Institute is beginning to understand that quality and experience are coming together. And similarly, IHI is beginning to see that also. Don Berwick's recent visit here, he went so far to say that patient-centeredness was the biggest of the six quality domains. We can debate that <laughs> at another time. And I, as Care Experience VP, I agree with that statement. And that's been a big change in the Care Experience Strategic Plan that we're really part of the quality strategy for the health system. Uh, and as such, the Care Experience leaders from across the system and teams are seeking to become supported and trained and skilled in improvement. And so the Promise Partnership has created a supported environment for improvement at scale for the health system. We've organized 14 improvement teams representing all the sites from across the health system, each of which is focusing on improving a priority area in care experience based on looking at their own data, their own needs, and things that would benefit the health system. Not just the patients, but also the providers thinking about the total care experience. We've had topics ranging from using real-time rounding to help improve discharge communication to working on improving environmental conditions at night to reduce noise so people can heal faster and have a better hospital stay to the groups that are working on one-on-one -on -one coaching to help providers have a better experience providing care and also so their patients can have a better patient experience. Using a combination of improvement coaching and also a learning collaborative model that is derived from the IHI's Breakthrough Series Collaborative Model, or BTS for short, the Promise Partnership will support and also accelerate 
the work that they're doing by bringing them all together in an all-teach-all-learn environment. It's basically just as it sounds. We gather all the teams together. They share their stories about what they're doing. We review their data about how they're performing. And we share best practices and also help teams move through barriers. And using these collaboratives can really help support and accelerate the work. If you think about uh, the workforce strain that people are experiencing right now, these collaboratives, in addition to accelerating improvement, can actually help people feel much more empowered in their work. So what we're engaging in now is the first organized multi-center effort in the health system to improve care experience at scale. And we're hoping that learning health system structure that Promise provides will help support that, add structure to it, and also bring a lot of data in to help the teams. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. So full disclosure, I'm a member of one of these uh, performance oh. improvement teams that uh, Brand had mentioned because we, meaning I'm a hospitalist and my colleagues are interested in improving the care experience while patients are in the hospital. So granted that we are already engaged, wondering, Brand, how other physicians and maybe even outside of providers, you know, how could other care team members be integrated into this type of work? That's an excellent question, and I'm glad you're asking it because that's what we hope to do in the future of Promise. The idea of Promise, if successful, is that it will scale system-wide so that all can participate. At the stage we're at now, there's a number of ways you can immediately participate. We have monthly all-teams calls that are webinars. If anyone is interested, they can contact us, and they can just come and observe, see the teams in action. We also have biannual large learning sessions where all of Promise is showcased, and that includes the research work we're doing and the improvement work and so forth. But people can join those sessions. They can also contact me directly, and I'd be happy to talk with people that are interested, and we can connect with other resources or even consider bringing your work into the Promise Partnership. Finally, podcasts like this will continue to describe what's happening with Promise, as well as a website that will be released. It's great to hear that people have a number of options in engaging with the care experience improvement efforts. Yeah. We discussed earlier that the healthcare team is just one half of the equation. The other half is engaging patients and families. So how has the Promise Partnership engaged with patients and families as part of the co-production? Excellent question. And this has been an element not just for Promise, but for the Care Experience Strategic Plan in general. Our Care Experience Committee that we spoke about last time actually has volunteers who are full voting members. So patients and families can participate in committee activity, whether you're a voting member or not, and also can participate directly on improvement teams. A number of the improvement teams in the Promise Partnership are actually full members of the improvement team, volunteers and patient family advisors are participating. We have a goal for Promise to have at least one PFA, our patient family advisor, on every improvement team, and we're about three-quarters of the way there. That's awesome. So are there any suggested or established tactics that your teams are using to spread the best practices as determined by the co-production learning health system across our DH system, as well as to the care teams? I would say that to be announced, because we have just launched on our mm -hmm. journey, but we have yet to learn from the improvement teams. There are a number of established general practices that both the IHI and the Barrel Institute, for example, have outlined that we can work on to improve care experience. So, for example, in the inpatient setting, we know that if we improve communication, care transitions, environment, and so on, that we will improve care. 
what I think Promise is going to be able to do is through the work of these improvement teams, demonstrate how we can do that in our context at the local level based on the interaction of our teams with the sites that they're working to improve. And that'll go far beyond what the general advisement from thought leaders can provide in general terms. And you mentioned before there's about 14 different projects that are happening right now. And so those 14 projects are based at different members throughout the systems. I would imagine that that's a great way to then have a lot of different initiatives happening and learning happening that can then be eventually spread to the members who aren't doing those initiatives? Yeah, that's exactly the thinking. And even within the Promise Partnership, we're seeing a little of that happening already. We have three teams that are using real-time rounding technologies for very different purposes, uh, but we'll be sharing their best practices with each other. We have two groups that are working on environment and so on. So even at the scale we're at now with just 14 teams, we're seeing some of that cross-pollination happening. The other part I would say is that we're using an approach of system standard standardization with local autonomy, meaning that we've been able to identify the drivers of the outcome. So we're trying to improve overall experience or overall rating of hospital for inpatient care and likelihood to recommend practice for outpatient care, basically global measures of experience. Well, we know what the drivers of those global outcomes are, and each of the local sites is able to choose from those drivers based on what they need most in their local level. So our theory is that if we can improve performance at the local level, it's a win for the local site, and that will also drive up the system. Absolutely. And do you expect to see any variation in the practices as they're established at each location? I would say yes. And studying that variation in and of itself will help us learn a lot, uh, but it'll also enable creativity. Uh, we're certainly not looking to homogenize everything that we're doing, but we are looking to identify best practices and spread those uh, and allow sites to then adapt those to the local context. Yeah, I like the idea of standardization, but with local autonomy, because there are certain characteristics that are still unique to your patient population, right? Yeah, and your setting and your resources and your people, it makes sense. It also allows us to escape the one more thing problem. If we align with what the local sites really need and support that, it can do one thing that will benefit the local site and the system as opposed to doing an extra thing system. I agree. We have to be conscientious of the things that we ask our staff to do to make sure that they are a value add. True. And somewhat related to that, I know we have come up against a variety of challenges as we are working on various quality and safety initiatives across the Dartmouth Health System. Brent, I was wondering, what are some of the challenges that the Promise Partnership is currently facing? Well, I think the challenge for any learning health system effort is twofold. One is to avoid collapsing under its own weight. So as we build the machine of a learning health system, is it right size, is it sustainable, and is it gonna stay true to mission? So one of the reasons we've aligned the Promise Learning Health System with the Care Experience Group and why it's come under Care Experience is that we're using the Care Experience Strategic Plan as the true north. So we are going to try and keep Promise centered on what the health system needs. Similarly, we're doing that on the academic side as well. What's Geisel's strategic plan? What is the Clinical Translational Research Award or the CTSA strategy, which is a major research award that the medical school's trying to get? Can Promise be aligned with that and make sure that if we get that, that Promise can help our future scientists do translational research? 
So that's one piece. The other part is to make sure we don't forget the people. It can be very, very tempting and bright and shiny with AI and machine learning and all the things we can do with learning health systems. Like we can do research faster. We can improve faster. We can get better numbers. Some learning health systems achieve this at the cost of losing the people, which is why we focused on a co-production center to the learning health system that's going to force us to make sure we maintain that focus on the people. And it's great to hear that people are at the center of what you're doing. Yeah. It matters. Yes. <laughs> the people matter. We're not going to be replaced by AI. True. That being said, there <laughs> <Uh-oh>. is... <laughs> And I know this is an area of interest. It's a big area of interest right now. If used thoughtfully, learning health systems that are AI-enabled are likely to be in the future if they're used thoughtfully and carefully. True. There are benefits to integrating artificial intelligence to learning health systems, and we do need to use it thoughtfully and carefully. Yeah. So we discussed the challenges care experience teams have faced to date. On the flip side... I was wondering if you could share some of the care experience team's wins. Well, I would say that what we're noticing already is that some of the teams are already seeing some immediate progress. I'll focus on the DHMC Clean and Quiet team, for example. They've already increased their likelihood to recommend scores substantially, and they're just starting in the Promise Partnership. Oftentimes, we see this with the excitement of getting involved with a collaborative and really starting to focus on improvement, that they're already able to achieve some progress. Other teams that haven't yet achieved any improvement progress have achieved some engagement progress. But we're seeing volunteers and team members working together that hadn't been doing so before, recognizing the benefits of those collaborations, and also opening their eyes to some new possibilities they hadn't considered. The invitation of improvement can create a situation where you feel more empowered to make changes in environment. And for many, they've never done improvement before and never had the opportunity to say, well, if this was your healthcare system, what would you do? How would you design it? Uh, So we're seeing some engagement effects to that and also starting to see some early ripples of interest. I'm getting spontaneous messages and phone calls from people that heard about Promise or went to the first learning session just because they were curious and now want to think about their own improvement initiative. So the hard outcomes are yet to come. We just started in December, but I think we're seeing some early signals of positive effect. That's fantastic. Yeah. The other question that I was going to ask was, there's some things that we think are rules in healthcare that aren't really rules, but they've just kind of been things in place for so long. And I imagine that there's things that healthcare workers would change and that patients and families would change because we feel like it's a stupid rule. We need to change this. This work was actually pioneered by the IHI a number of years ago. They did a large national collaborative. Don Berwick put a paper in JAMA on it that we're trying to replicate. But yeah, it's all these usual and customary things that we think are rules or rules that are just outdated. Yeah. It should be acceptable to break rules for improvement, right? And I think in some cases, especially on the front lines, they're like, nope, I have to do it this way because this is the way we're supposed to do it. And they're not given that autonomy to consider breaking some of these rules for a small test of change and iterative learning. Yeah. Or in a certain situation in which the rule doesn't capture the context. A good example was there was a patient who came to visit a family member 
um, car broke down, was kind of stuck at the hospital and just needed a cab ride. But because of the rules, because of some detail, the patient wasn't entitled to a voucher. Oh, and yeah. so the front desk staff had not given the patient family a voucher. I said, give them, give them a voucher. <laughs> right. It, but the rule says it's okay. We're going to override the rule in this case. And, right. You know, think about the result. Yeah, we broke a rule and we spent a little extra money that wasn't in the budget, but patient had a great experience and right. tell their family about it. Right. Like appreciative of the fact that they were well taken care of. Yeah. yeah. So I think that part of the work will be changing that expectation. That mm-hmm. In certain cases, just like leading service organizations like Nordstrom and others, right? They, they build it into the job description. Right. That yeah. You can, to a certain extent, break yeah. the rule. And if you think down the road to why that would matter clinically, right? Think about adherence, trust in your providers, trust in your health system. You might trust a lot more if you think your health system is going to go the extra mile. Definitely. It's a great example. Give them the voucher. Give them the voucher. <laughs> yeah. Well... We want to thank you for joining us, and we are looking forward to talking more about things in the future around care experience and what some of those wins that we're hoping to see are. But is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with today that we didn't cover? Thank you for having me, number one. And number two, if you have an interest in improvement or interest in the Promise Partnership, think about the Value Institute. Contact us. We're the Quality, Safety, and Value Hub for the Dartmouth Health System Care Experience as part of that, reach out to us. You can engage in this work. Everybody can be part of improving the care experience for the people we serve. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure. You have been listening to The Care Experience. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you have any questions, please email thecure at hitchcock.org. This is your host, Jose, signing off.